The global spotlight returning to China. A secret directive from Beijing on pneumonia reporting, bringing its medical transparency into question yet again. Undiagnosed pneumonia with unusual symptoms. How does the current outbreak in China compare to COVID-19? A look at expert insights. An influence memo from the Chinese Communist Party exposed by U.S. lawmakers. How do the regime's tactics operate in America? And Washington has promised a new round of mid-range missiles to the Indo-Pacific region next year. Officials say the weapons will keep Beijing's forces away from Taiwan. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A replay of the COVID-19 pandemic's earliest days? China's mysterious pneumonia outbreak is raging across the nation and bringing back some unwelcome memories. That's alongside a lingering question, is Beijing's lack of medical transparency still causing issues? Here's an exclusive scoop shared by an insider from the country's top leadership. As a mysterious wave of pneumonia cases rages through China, the communist regime's top officials have been given a secret directive downplay the current outbreak, and avoid using the term COVID-19. The order coming straight from the Chinese communist leader Xi Jinping. That's according to an insider with knowledge of the top echelons of the Chinese Communist Party. We gave her a pseudoname out of safety concerns. Major foreign media outlets stationed in Beijing also received the order, which makes it clear that no interviews are allowed to report on the so-called mycoplasma pneumonia infections or influenza. Domestic media are also prohibited from making any comprehensive reports on this outbreak. That is just like pretending this never happened. She adds authorities have been ordered by Xi to refer to the outbreaks of serious respiratory disease as mycoplasma pneumonia infections, or as other infections that are not COVID-19, such as influenza. She also reveals multiple Chinese hospitals have set up makeshift clinics to cope with the surging demand for treatment. Such facilities are most known for large-scale medical isolation tactics used during the COVID-19 pandemic in China. The affiliated hospital of Hebei University has one makeshift clinic, and Baoding First Central Hospital has one. They are the only two hospitals. The affiliated hospital of Hebei University's makeshift clinic is already put into use, primarily for children receiving IV drop treatments. That says pneumonia infections quickly spread from children to adults, overwhelming hospitals across China. Reports of the illness first poured in from major cities in northern China, including Beijing and Tianjin. Northern Liaoning province is also grappling with high case numbers. Now the infections are spreading through three southern Chinese provinces. Here's what a resident from Shanghai had to say. It's very bad now. The child is sick. Basically, all the fever wards are full. And the same is true for Shanghai Pediatric Hospital. Another resident said the cases in Jiangsu are also getting serious. Here in Jiangsu, in my city, there are indeed a lot of sick people, both adults and children. Take my family as an example. We have a total of six members in our family, and a third of us have been infected. And in Guangdong, a resident shared a similar situation. Now infection cases are appearing in Guangzhou, too. There are a lot of children who are sick. I suspect that it's COVID-19. The symptoms are too similar. It's the first full winter without a COVID-19 lockdown in China. Yet scenes of overwhelmed hospitals and hazmat workers disinfecting streets are still unfolding in the country. We'll keep you updated as the situation develops. 
undiagnosed pneumonia with unusual symptoms. What should we expect from China's rising infection cases? And what can we learn given the communist regime's lack of transparency? We sat down with Dr. Sean Lin, former U.S. Army microbiologist and professor of biomedical sciences at Fatian College, to dive deeper into the situation. Why do you think it's so common in children this time? I think this is a very unique situation. I actually think the fundamental underlying reason is still the COVID. The COVID never uh, really left China. And it's still a, a COVID pandemic. And then on top of it, you see uh, a very high peak circulation of other respiratory pathogens. So for example, if you have the uh, mycoplasma pneumonia infection, which target primary uh, to people's uh, upper respiratory tract. And children are uh, very easy to contract uh, these uh, mycoplasma pneumonia infection. Your immune system is weakened. And now the COVID can easily enter directly invaded to your lung, like causing more infection, causing more infla uh, inflammatory uh, infiltration, and causing the white lung situation. Given the Chinese Communist Party's history of lack of transparency and underreporting in at least, you know, the most recent pandemic, how can we be sure about what's actually happening inside China right now? Very obviously, the Chinese government did not report any of those uh, death tours, uh, ICU number, hospitalization number. And so uh, right now, people can only guess this, uh, the severity of these outbreak through uh, the in a hospital you have to register for a number, right? <laughs> so some hospital, even the children's hospital, you have to wait three thousand people in order to get treated, right? People can only count the numbers through these kind of registration system. It's kind of ridiculous. So Chinese people are not even entitled to know what's the outbreak uh, situation in any particular city, and the Chinese government say they provide testing data to WHO. But on the other hand, why Chinese people not entitled to this simple testing data, right? It's all ridiculous. So the Chinese government is still hiding the situation. Now let's turn to defense. Starting next year, Washington will deploy a fresh round of mid-range missiles to the Indo-Pacific region. And the goal is to make sure that China doesn't invade Taiwan. U.S. Army Pacific Command General Charles Flynn said that the deployment will include land-based tomahawks, which are capable of locating and striking targets from roughly 1,500 miles away. Flynn warned that the regime's military capability is expanding at an unprecedented pace under Chinese leader Xi Jinping, and that China's trajectory would prove a dangerous one for both the Indo-Pacific and the world. For decades, the Chinese Communist Party has seen Taiwan as part of its own territory and has vowed to take it by force if necessary. That's despite never having ruled it. As Beijing continues to ramp up aggression beyond its border, Flynn said that many countries in the Indo-Pacific are looking to work closely with the U.S. forces. Meanwhile, over the weekend, the Chinese military got into a verbal dispute with the U.S. Navy in the South China Sea. This came as a U.S. vessel sailed near the Paracel Islands, a disputed chain of reefs claimed by China, Taiwan and Vietnam. Beijing soon mobilized its forces to, quote, track, monitor and warn away the destroyer. In response, the U.S. Navy confirmed the passage, saying that the act was protected under international law. 
Worth noting, U.S. forces have been routinely operating in the South China Sea for more than a century. Despite the territorial dispute, China is the only nation that exercises military control over the Paracel Islands. Shifting gears, a defense update from Asia-Pacific. For the first time, South Korea will join NATO's Cyber Coalition. It's one of the world's largest cyber defense exercises. The drills will simulate cyber attacks against critical infrastructure. And defenders from 34 countries will train to counter the attacks. They'll also practice recovering control of key systems. The exercises are happening both in Estonia and remotely through Friday. 11 military officials from South Korea are taking part as the country deepens its ties with NATO. And moving to North America, Canada's top spy agency says the Chinese regime is trying to recruit government workers and academics in the country. The Canadian Security Intelligence Service, or CSIS, sent out alerts to government workers earlier this month. It warned them that the Chinese regime is using a large-scale email campaign to lure Canadians into Chinese talent programs. CSIS warns the programs can result in the loss of Canadian resources and sensitive information. The Canadian spy agency also says the Chinese communist regime is leveraging such recruitment programs for espionage. The Chinese Communist Party spreads its influence around the globe using something former leader Mao Zedong called a magic weapon for success. Today, U.S. lawmakers detailed how it operates. NTD's Arian Postar takes a closer look. China's United Front Work Department pushes the CCP's evil ideology in the U.S. and around the globe. On Tuesday, the Select Committee on the CCP published a bipartisan memo saying Chinese dictator Mao Zedong described United Front work as a magic weapon for the party's success. The CCP used it during the 1960s in its cultural revolution, which killed tens of millions of people. United Front work contains activities that aim to pressure, threaten and attack individuals, companies, governments and more, so that they align with CCP interests. Nowadays, these activities even take place in the United States. Earlier this year, multiple pro-China protesters interrupted a congressional hearing that focused on the CCP's United Front work. I think these eruptions are indicative uh, of really the effect that the United Front Work Department has had. They, they reinforce, I think, the idea that America is the problem in the world. And only if America disengages, or in this case, becomes more passive, uh, that things will get better. Another example of United Front work in the U.S. are alleged Chinese police stations, which actually serve as spy posts for the CCP, like the one in Manhattan that made headlines earlier this year. Another example of United Front work in the U.S. took place earlier this year, when Taiwan's president visited the United States. The CCP told organizations in California and in New York to go protest Taiwan's leader during her visit. Now, of course, people have the right to protest. But what if tensions between China and the U.S. keep rising? What if a war breaks out? It's not clear how the CCP might use its outposts in the United States in such a scenario. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Meanwhile, in Canada, several top universities in Quebec have imposed a WeChat ban on all school-owned devices. This comes just days after the nation barred the social media app from all government networks, citing cybersecurity concerns. 
McGill University was the first to take action, then Concordia tagged along within a few days. The two schools urged students to use discretion and try not to access university data if they have WeChat installed on their cell phones or computers. I think it is the right move. It has the full access to many files on the device, location, camera, microphone, or even able to detect nearby devices. This is a privacy concern. WeChat was developed by Chinese multimedia conglomerate Tencent. It now has more than 1 billion users globally, most of them from mainland China. From chit-chatting to utilities payments to grocery shopping, the app has become a catch-all for its users. Despite its popularity, the U.S. and its allied nations have long expressed concerns over WeChat's data collection policies. It allows third party to develop application on top of WeChat. The third party can be Chinese government. So it's very difficult to guarantee security um, on this type of app. In August 2020, former President Trump signed an executive order seeking to take WeChat off the U.S. App Store for good. The Biden administration revoked that decision and instead called for additional scrutiny of apps tied to foreign adversaries like China. Now some updates on China's economy. Beijing is trying to hold on to foreign business, while Western companies are looking for ways to reduce their dependency on China's supply chains. On Tuesday, Premier Li Qiang said China is willing to build closer ties with all countries. He made the comment during the China International Supply Chain Expo, China's first ever expo of this nature. Right now, foreign investment in China is at a historic low. Businesses like Apple are moving chunks of their manufacturing to other Asian countries. That's over fears like tensions between Beijing and Washington, tightening regulations in China, and an unfair playing field compared to Chinese state-owned companies. The de-risking process started quietly in 2018 after the Trump administration imposed trade tariffs on Beijing and later became a trend after the pandemic hit China's economy hard. Many foreign companies operating in China say market demand in the country hasn't returned to pre-COVID levels. What's more, new troubles are on the horizon for China's financial sector. Beijing police launched a probe investigating one of China's biggest financial conglomerates, ZEG. The wealth management company told investors last week that it's severely insolvent, citing $64 billion in debt. Experts predict investors may lose at least three-quarters of their money. The news is fueling concerns that China's real estate crisis is spilling over into the financial sector. Three out of the four of China's biggest property developers are buried under massive debt, to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars for each of them. ZEG has had sizable exposure to the real estate sector. Beijing authorities suspect the company of, quote, illegal crimes, but haven't elaborated. Back to real estate, a new lawsuit against Chinese company Evergrande. This time, the plaintiff is a subsidiary of Evergrande, a company called Jingbi Property. The case is related to about $280 million of guarantees Jingbi Property gave a bank. That bank later seized the assets. Jingbi Property believes it happened due to a malfunction within the parent company Evergrande and a few others. 
Over to the fashion industry, clothing company Shein is gearing up to enter the American stock market. It's expected to list as early as next year. The fast fashion brand has already filed to go public in the United States. And three leading institutions in the financial sector have been hired on the company's initial public offering, or IPO. The company was founded in China, later moving its headquarters to Singapore. It's valued at more than $60 billion. But its business model has been at the center of industry controversy. Xi'an partners with closing makers inside China and sells those products through its online store in other countries. The United States is one of its biggest markets. The brand ships its goods directly to shoppers in individually addressed packages, avoiding both warehouse fees and U.S. import taxes, allowing it to offer customers dirt-cheap prices. Xi'an is also facing a series of claims, from stealing copyrighted designs to using cotton from Xinjiang made with forced labor. Xinjiang is home to the Uyghur ethnic minority. Washington says at least one million Uyghurs have been put in forced labor camps under the Chinese communist regime. Coming up, another standoff in the South China Sea. As Washington asserts its rights in international waters, concerns over China's naval power and aggression are front and center. Could Beijing's sheer numbers overtake the American tech edge in a fight? And is the world stage inching closer to a kinetic war? For details, we spoke to Brent Sadler, a senior research fellow for naval warfare and advanced technology in the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. That's coming up. Welcome back to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Naval destroyers, land-based missiles, and contested territory claims. The South China Sea has long stood as a battleground for the U.S.-China power competition. Now concerns about Beijing's growing naval force are coming into focus. As the two nations relaunch military communications while China jockeys for control, are we getting closer to a kinetic war? For more, we spoke to Brent Sadler, a senior research fellow for naval warfare and advanced technology and the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. Brent Sadler, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Hey, thank you very much. I want to begin with these accusations between the U.S. and China over the weekend in the South China Sea. Now, China's military actually drove away a U.S. warship that the Navy says was on a routine freedom of navigation operation. How do you read what happened over the weekend? Well, there's nothing new in this, and the Chinese make, make, always mischaracterize uh, their actions and the U.S. response to these freedom of navigation ops. They always say they drove away U.S. invading forces or uh, trespassing forces, when in reality, our ships and our aircraft, when they do these operations, they're just continuing on their normal track. Now, zooming into hardware issues, the China mm -hmm. has surpassed the U.S. Navy in terms of ships. Now, if it were right. to come into a kinetic war, how much does it come down to quantity versus quality? Well, I think uh, it, it will come down to, if it becomes a, a full-on war, it will come down to numbers. Uh, mass does matter. Uh, if we lose one of our ships because of the proportion of firepower, web missiles that it carries and the sensors that the larger fleet and military joint U.S. war force depends on is much more significant if the Chinese lose 
one of many destroyers. So while we may have some advantages in, cap in capabilities, that rapidly goes away in a far quicker if you don't have enough numbers. And so we don't have the numbers. We certainly don't have the numbers in munitions. And I think the war in Ukraine is making that point explicitly clear that we can't even produce enough artillery rounds to keep feeding that war in Ukraine right now. So if we get into a fight with China, it's going to rely on a lot of very high-tech, very exquisite, technologically advanced cruise missiles, missile systems. That takes a long time to build those. And what are the concrete steps the U.S. must take now to ensure that the U.S. is pacing China's technology? Well, for one, we got to we have to secure our intellectual property better. Uh, a lot of things that have commercial on the surface have commercial utility, or a company that has commercial production, think like a company like Boeing that makes commercial aircraft, while the Chinese may partner and buy uh, you know, commercial products, that does create a backdoor that they could use to steal sensitive defense technology. And that happened with the F-35. So we have to be better there. Uh, we also have to increase our defense industrial base so that we can make more aircraft and ships and munitions. Now, expanding on that note, the U.S. Army Pacific Commander General Charles Flynn is saying that China's mm. military advancement is on a dangerous trajectory. This comes as the U.S. is set to deploy new land-based okay. missiles. How do you mm. read these developments? Are we inching closer to war, or is this a way to prevent war? Uh, I think the U.S. Army's perspective in this, or role actually in deterrence, uh, is actually, it's it's long past due. It's over 10 years past due. There was a notion, the idea originally was called archipelagic defense. And this was basically play the Chinese game back on them with cruise missiles and ballistic missiles that you could hold their ships, their aircraft, and even their land bases at risk from the first island chain. So this is the Philippines, Japan come to mind as part of this design. The The army doesn't have those systems in production yet. They're getting close to having them developed. Uh, it will be important, but it's got to be in conjunction with the Navy and the Air Force, uh, because without that cover, that air cover, without that naval presence, the Chinese are able to move around, identify, and try kill off those Army assets over time. So it's really a joint team effort that's required. Army is only just now getting to the game. Brent Sadler, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.